You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for the gift of your gathered people. And we know that everybody comes in here from a different perspective, with different eyes, uh, our hearts in different places. And today, just ask that above all, you would let us see you for who you are. You'd let us see ourselves for who we are. You'd let us cling to grace to meet the difference. And as we look at what it looks like to put our confidence in comparison or, or in the flesh or in things around us, or to put com- confidence in your affirmation to us. And would you, would you let us do that today? Would you show us what it looks like uh, to, to humbly rebuke the accusation of fools by our confidence in your love for us? We thank you. Holy Spirit, would you do work that, that I can't do today? In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was in seventh grade, I uh, was at the local uh, skating rink, Skateway it was, in, in Trenton, Ohio. And um, it, was, it was a winter day. My friend, we'll call him Adam, because that's his name. Um, we, were, we were hanging out, and we had just gotten there, and uh, than us, he came and he was kind of like trying to like start some stuff with my friend. Um, and, and the insult and the accusation was, was around my friend Adam, uh, coming after this dude's girl, right? And the, the reality was, that wasn't true. That was not true at all. In fact, dude who was trying to, like, rough up my friend, that dude's girl was actually coming after my friend Adam, all right? And Adam's playing it cool, all right? So, uh, so m- myself nor my friend, we're, we're not, like, contentious types. Uh, smart Alex, yes. Um, we're in seventh grade, uh, and a little rowdy at times, but we were not brawlers. We didn't fight a lot. And so this dude just kept pushing my friend. And we're sitting in this booth. We hadn't even, like, got out on the skating rink yet. And he just kept pushing him. And, and he was, like, doing this stuff, you know, and, and I'm sitting across my friend, and it's like, <laughs> you know, you're like, how, what, this is, you know, and, like, heart, hearts begin to race, and you're like, wow. And so he just kept pushing him. Hey, why are you messing with my girl? Why are you messing with, and he's like, and he begins to, like, you know, do this, and it's just like, this is not going anyplace good. And eventually, after ignoring and ignoring and ignoring, finally, I just, I, I saw it switch in my friend's eyes, and he stepped up, and he turned around, and he jumped over this little wall, and it, it remember, it's the 90s. It's winter out, like under 20 degrees, and, and so... Everybody's wearing starter coats. My friend has a Chicago Bears starter coat. Uh, the, the accuser, he has a, like, I think it's like a Texas Longhorns starter coat. And, and for the next like 45 seconds, all you saw, it was like when a, when a dog and a cat in a cartoon like get in a fight and there's just a cloud of dust. All you saw was like fists and starter coats. Just like, and, and I don't think anything landed. I don't know what they were aiming at. And, like no, nothing landed, but well, within a few minutes, my friend and I were... We're outside, and we had to wait like an hour and a half before his mom was coming at the designated time. We weren't going to call and tell her, hey, we just got kicked out of Skateway. So, so we just stood there, and, and we froze, honest to goodness, uh, for, for an hour and a half. And, 
And so that's how the night, night went. Um, sometimes when we're, when we're pressed, when we're accused, or, or even if we're attacked, you can, you can only take so much. But man, the way that we respond, it, it really tells a lot about the situation. Uh, the way that we respond, it comes from where you find your defense, all right? And, and we know that Jesus, he doesn't call us to live a life of passivity. But, but yet we see him say things like, turn the other cheek. And so sometimes those things are hard to kind of rationale and, and, and get to come together. But, but turn the other cheek doesn't come at the expense of defending truth or defending the gospel, or, or defending what's right, and, and at times even, defending ourselves as a means to defend those greater things. And one said this, when, when claims against the truth stand unchallenged, people are led to believe that the claims hold more truth than the truth itself. Therefore, it is necessary in some cases to stand up and speak up about the lies against Truth. And so before we jump in here, I just want you to think about this for you. What is it that draws a response from you when you're accused? Like, where does that come from? What, what does it take you to? What is your response? Uh, and, and what are you defending when you come to a place to, to begin defending? What does your defense aim at? Paul, the dude who wrote this letter, he uh, again is, is joining the, the ministry of defense, all right? This sermon series through the, the letter of 2 Corinthians is called Suffering in Defense because this is Paul's ministry for a long period of time. He's just constantly defending truth, and so he's joining this ministry of defense to oppose the voice and the attack of his accusers. There are a group of, of influencers in the midst of the church at Corinth, and as we've said many, many times, and, and we've already looked at this stuff many, many times through many, many chapters on the front end of this, but but what's happening is Paul planted, he established the church at Corinth. He, he, he sowed the seed of the gospel there. And they responded and they trusted and, and he established the local church and he established elders and he moved on to plant the gospel in other places. And so this is sometime a couple years later and, and there are some other influencers coming in and Paul is, is defending himself against them because they, they're, not, uh, they're, they're not walking according to the Spirit. And so Paul's confronting them. Uh, one said this way, because these mischief makers have met with an embarrassing amount of success, Paul has found himself in the uncomfortable position of having to defend himself against their annoying smear campaign and to explain his conduct. Now, like when you see Paul defending himself as an apostle, this is really, really important because w- what it tells us is in the Old Testament, God spoke through uh, his messengers, the prophets, and then he spoke authoritatively, and so much of what we have in the Old Testament was through those people, and, and other people spoke, and other people even claimed to speak in the name of God. But it was, it was the ones that God approved and, and affirmed to give us his book, so that we might. and so it was, it was these men whom God uh, rose up to speak authoritative truth that would become, it was then, but, but for us, the Word of God. So this is really, really important that Paul lets them understand that what he says is true and what they're saying is not true. And so over the next few chapters, uh, as we kind of close this thing out in, in the next uh, month plus, we begin to see 
what the charges are. And, and thankfully, there's no girl involved, and, and they're not even at Skateway. Like, who would have thought? Um, and, but it's more of the same. It's criticism that, that Paul's inconsistent, that he's weak and cowardly, um, that he lacks apostolic power, and, and he rebukes the Corinthians for allowing these bogus apostles to, to drive a wedge between them uh, for failing to defend him against their charges and, and against their charges of his, of, of his character. And so it's, it's super personal because Paul's like, man, like what, what he did was, was go there to establish the gospel in this era and they responded and we were one, we were unified. Like that, that hasn't changed, right? We did this and now you're coming at me as if I'm the villain. And so his hope is that their obedience would, would be complete. And this is what we'll see in this text in a, in a minute that their obedience would be complete, that their faith would increase, that it would multiply out beyond uh, anything that they've seen even up to this point, that they will be made perfect, and that they will hold fast to the faith. There is a lot at stake, though. Uh, and, and Paul defends his reputation, but, but it is more to save the community from fools and, and a false gospel than it is to save his own reputation. So the main idea that we're looking at is this. Confidence in God's affirmation humbly rebukes the accusation of fools. All right, And so what we get to do is we get to look, what does the ministry that Paul's involved in, the ministry of defense, what, is, what does that look like? And the, and the first thing that we see is that, um, that it wages war against falsehood. All right, And so let's jump in here. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want to read the first six verses. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. That's like, uh, he's he's taking their words and he's like, you know me, the one who, like, uh, I'm weak and cowardly, you know, the one, wink, wink. Um, He says, I beg you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness, with such con, uh, confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Now, the crazy thing about that is there are a lot, even in that little thing, there are a lot of like famous scriptures that people point to all the time. And it's so good for us to look at these and just put them in context of what's going on, all right? Um, so, so he doesn't do that with, with fists flying, all right? And that's really important. What he does instead is he approaches this with gentleness. So, the, the manner in which he defends is one which reflects Christ. And you might say, oh, so he's coming in, in boldness and in might and power. That's not what he does. He comes in meekness and gentleness. And so what Paul's saying is, okay, so, so I'm a two-faced, two-sided, inconsistent, a, a keyboard and, and lobs uh, grenades on my blog. All right? That would be a modern equivalent. Um, but but I'm, I'm not bold enough to confront you when I'm with you? Is that what you're saying? All right? And so he, he says this, please, don't make me 
right? That's what he, that's what he says. P- please. Don't, don't make me treat you like I'm going to have to treat those who are opposing truth. P- please don't make me do that. He would probably ha- have sent, uh, had it existed at the time, like an eye roll emoji, right? And, and so he's like, P- please. And so what we see is not some sarcastic, snarky punk, but what we see is, is Paul being a, a pastor, Paul being a shepherd to these sheep who are being led astray. Paul being parental to these people that, that he walked into the kingdom. So he's saying, like, I care for you. Please don't make me do that. And so, so this is the nature of the one who divides. And it's true then, and it's true now. Right? You, can, you can imagine Paul writing a letter, and it's coming off as harsh. All right? And remember, there's 1 Corinthians, then there's, we think, the harsh letter, which we don't have. And then there's 2 Corinthians, which is actually 3 Corinthians, right? But this one's not part of Scripture, all right? And so, so he's saying, uh, so he's written these letters to them. What did he say? All right, you can imagine him saying, oh, okay, so, so you have Paul. Look how big and bad he thinks he is when, when, when he's far away. Remember, isn't he the one that left you guys anyway? Like, why would he continue to care for you, right? Because isn't he the one that, that had to go plant the gospel in other places? Like, you can see that. You can see that that's the, the, the nature and the tone of what Paul is responding. Who does he think he is, anyway? And further, they accuse him of, of walking in the flesh. Now, that can mean lots of things. It can literally mean flesh. It can mean, like, worldly, sinful stuff. Or, or it can mean uh, this. Their accusation against Paul is that he's unimpressive, that he's ineffective, that he's like a third-rate communicator who's not sufficiently worthy to warrant pay because they take jabs at him because, because he doesn't take pay from the Corinthians when, when he was their pastor. Now, and, and he's inexperienced in, in visions and revelations which are, in their mind, the hallmark of spirituality. All right? so, so in their minds, when they say he's one who walks according to the flesh, what they mean, he's devoid of the power of the Spirit. So Paul, he wages war against such notions in defense of truth, the gospel, in defense of the Corinthians themselves, and certainly in defense of himself. But, but he doesn't use weapons of war like we see them. All right? what, what is the nature of the weaponry of this war? It's not of the flesh, but it's of the divine. And so he's rebuking accusations based on slimy untruth, and he, and he redirects to God's divine remedy, obedience to Christ. The flesh that Paul doesn't have in his arsenal tool belt um, is, is showmanship and, and oration skills, right? Uh, and, and smoke and mirror. It says this tear down arguments and lofty opinions. And so what he's doing, he's saying that, that his weapons, they destroy the way that, that these people think. They, they demolish their sinful thought patterns, right? Which, which live in rebellion against God. And so, so who is our battle against? If we look at this and we see this in Paul, who is our battle against? Well, you might have to answer that for yourself. And you might have to say, what does this mean? This play out like this, but, but maybe it's individuals, all right? 
Maybe it's, it's the culture at large that, that pushes against us, who, who lob threats and, and falsehood and, and accusation, who, who tear you down or who tear the church down or the purity of the church or, or God's name in general down. And, and maybe they would describe our, our inability to compete with the flair of this world. That's what Paul's talking about. And so we get to see that and we get to experience that in, in our own life today. Or, or maybe they're... Uh, it's, it's the power of this world that, that we're unable to um, offer a counterattack against. And so they, they engage in attack through outlets of this world. New perspectives and, and new ideology and new awareness. And so they oppose that we build our lives on this old, old book built on old, old truths. That's what the world around us does. It can show up in your own life and in our life together in a thousand ways. Perhaps uh, our worldview, because we build our life on, on this as the foundation of our life, perhaps our worldview then misses in, in healthful practices uh, of cultural engagement, and you say, well, yeah, 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 that was, yeah, that was God, and that was then, but, but no, 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 God is love, and, and look, now we get to, all right, and you can fill in the gap on any cultural issue or, or maybe it's, it's those that are in C-T-S within the church. Um, or, or, and, and so they would lob attacks of spiritual superiority by their kind of um, hyper-spiritual grounded in manipulation of the truth. When we consider any of those voices or, or the ones that the Spirit might bring to you today, uh, or when we consider the, the, the crafty opposition to God's kingdom in general, uh, that, that they have a form of godliness which denies the legitimate power of God, we get to lean into Paul and we say, how did he respond? And this is what he says. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And so, it's, it's not just those outside that, that accuse and that come against, but sometimes it's, it's our own selves, our own minds, our own hearts that, that drift from truth that fall away, that, that, that chase shiny things, or, or that hear the, the lure of this world, and you say, you know what? Maybe that's right. And what Paul says is, is please don't buy the lie. We destroy every lofty opinion and argument raised against the, the knowledge of God, and we take every thought that comes into our mind, and we take it captive to Christ. And when we do that, we get to walk and obedience together all the way until God makes us complete. So we let the old, old, the author of all things and all truth. We let this old truth realign our thoughts and give substance to our feelings and empower our practice and the way that we live and give hope to the futile patterns and power of this world's wisdom. Then that truth sets us free to be subject to Christ and we get to obey him at every turn. That's what Paul's calling 
the Corinthians to do. And so we don't get beyond Christ. We can the battle of falsehood first against us when, when, when our sin condemned Jesus on the cross. And then, then now as we walk uh, as, as forgiven sons and daughters by, by grace through faith alone, at one point he fought against us and now he fights for us. And we are no longer condemned because Jesus took the sin that we lived and he took the judgment for that sin and he died and he lives to set us free. The second thing that Paul does in this ministry of defense is he puts confidence in Christ which crushes comparison. I want to read the next five verses starting in verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. That would be like him saying, open your eyes, right? Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for, the build, for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, and this is, he's again quoting them, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. It's so interesting when you think about Paul that like, I think that it would just be like this dominant voice, but, but the reality is we hear him through his writing. And so like in, in interaction, he might be a little quiet. And we joked around this week that like, like, Paul is, is he's Scott O'Donohoe, right? And I know not everybody knows Scott O'Donohue is the guy that, that said that we're a community formed by the gospel and all these things up here at the beginning of this gathering. But Scott is a, a vehemently sharp writer, right? Right? But when you interact with him, you are, you are not going to be offended, all right? You're going to, like, think, wow, this guy, like, loves and cares for me, all right? Like, and when you wrote something, it sounded like you were punching me in the neck. But then when I talk to you, it, it doesn't sound that way, all right? And, and, and that's like, Scott, we love you, brother. He knows that's all true. I, I think I can say that stuff. Um, his gifts are, are incredible, truly. And Scott, for real, we really appreciate all of those things about you. But I just, I never think of Paul in that way. He just seems like he would be, but, but again, because we're only knowing him through his writing, all right? And so, um, what Paul tells us here is this. Comparison destroys. It, it kills. And again, this too is true in the flesh. And it's true in the spirit. Uh, when, when Kim and I were at college at Wright State, we, we were going to be uh, middle childhood educators, and so we had to take... This music course, and, and it, like, oh, it was brutal. Like, there are many people that aren't teachers today because they had to sing to their college classmates. It was brutal, for real. Um, we got through it. Uh, can't sing a lick. And, and then in the, the lab we had, uh, we had a lab that was, and we had to learn piano because, like, they think everybody can be Liz Knutson up here, right? I mean, honest to goodness, like, not one single thing but, but we had the, the test, the final, and, and at the end. And this girl, a classmate of ours, she comes, and like she, she did her test or whatever, and, um, and, and she comes back, and everybody said, I didn't do great. Like, well, what, what did she say? 
she said that I needed to be more like Michael. It's like, what? She's like, the professor just told me that I, didn't, I needed to be more like him. All right? I share that with you not to say I was a beast in that piano lab because I wasn't. I have no idea why that professor liked me like she did. But, but that girl, and, and we joked around about it because it was like, why on earth? Like, that was, like in, in grading her, you need to be more like your classmate. That's what she said. And her classmate was me who couldn't play the piano at all. And she's just like, what on earth happened? And to this day, I have no idea what happened. All right? And, and that's, that's comical, but look, comparison, it's, it's not always funny. All right? And, and the reality is, like, the, the fear that, that parents largely have, and I think we should have this fear, uh, of social media for our kids, for example, uh, or, or for social media for ourselves, all right? Uh, it, and it, it's that we, we have, through those things, a portal that we can look in, and we get to see, like, uh, all kinds of things that are put on display. And so what we begin to do when we let our hearts respond to what we peer into is we assign value based on, on appearance and on accumulation and on any other thing. And it's not that, that the social aspect is wrong. Gosh, we love community, right? We tout community, right? And, and so it, it's not that those things are wrong. It's not that, that the social aspect is the root, but those outlets, they shine light on what's already in our hearts, when, when, we, when we're constantly posturing in their best form, right, that so easily just draws on the things that are already deep-seated inside our sinful hearts. And so if there is, there is doubt about your own spiritual condition in moments or, or in the grand sweeps of life or, or the spiritual motivation of others, we can use what, what Paul's saying, we can use comparison as a warning to determine whether we are walking in the flesh or whether we're, we are walking in the Spirit. I just want to ask a series of questions. You won't have time to write any of these down. Uh, am I more concerned with others than I am myself? All right? And, and I don't mean like, oh, I hope they're okay. Like, that's not the type of concern for others, I mean. It's, it's when you look at others and you say, ah, I'm not like them, or, or what are they doing over there, or, or, or whatever. Um, do I find my confidence in being superior to others? By, by any measure. Do I find my confidence in being superior to others? Again, by any measure. Or, or in the same breath, do I find my despair by being inferior to others? When you look around, are you built up by all that they're not? Or are you tore down by all that you're not? Um, am I leveled by the gospel? The gospel is that, that we are all broken sinners, rebels against God, but God being rich in mercy reaches down and he snags us by his grace and by his love for us. Right? That levels us because all we get to do is we get to respond to his love for us. That's what invites us into his family. So applied to me or am I arrogant that God is for me? Can you celebrate the success of others? 
like we talk about this as, man, this is a mark of maturity. Right? And, and you can say, oh, you need to celebrate. But in your heart, are you like, no, I, I'm for my brother, and I'm so happy. He got what I always wanted. Right? That's, that's the comparison that, that Paul is talking about. And, and I'll, I'll kind of summarize it. When you, when you look at others, um, and it makes you feel better or worse about yourself, then you're setting yourself up for, for worldly frustration through comparison. So, so when you look at others, you feel better or worse about yourself. It's the same thing. All right? it's, it's comparison. So, so these accusers are claiming to be Christ's in a special way which excludes others who are also in Christ. And so to be clear, there is no second class in the kingdom of God. Not, not one second class. All right, and, and in the, the charismatic aspect, you would have, well, there are those who are in Christ, but then there are those whom the Holy Spirit shows up in special, unique ways. All right, there's tears. Or, or in our perspective, we would say, well, okay, there are those who are in Christ, and then there are those who actually really get the gospel. There are not second tiers. There are those who are in the kingdom of God because God overwhelmed them with His love and grace, and they responded because they said, I, I have nowhere else to turn. Or there are those who, who are not. So, so in the kingdom, there's no second class. And so there, there are a thousand grounds to build the case, knowledge, but none of those hold water. And so what Paul says is, we dare not stoop so low. And this is, this is what he says. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and they compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. They are fools. But, but remember, he, he sets up the reason why at the beginning of this paragraph. He says, if anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, hey, we are too so also are we. And so he points back, and he, he's saying that, that we are in this together. All right? Jesus isn't after only those who are eloquent or those who are powerful by human standards or those who are valuable by comparison of, of their gifts or those who have a clean record or those who have some incredible piano lab skills. All right? He's, he's not after those or, or those who have the gift of influence or, or anything else. You can be Christ right here right now, no matter what, no matter how you compare, because he is big enough to delight in everyone whom the Father gives him equally based on one thing and one thing alone, and that's do you have confidence in God's love for you because of the work of Jesus? Confidence in God's affirmation humbly rebukes the accusation of fools. The last thing we see is, is that the, the ministry of defense that, that Paul is engaging in, it leaves influence to the authority of God. And so let's finish this chapter, verse 13 through 18. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God, even to you. 
For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We did not boast. Our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So Paul is, is resting his influence in what God provides to him and in what God allows to happen through him. That, that's what he's, he's, he's hanging his hat on that. God has allowed him to plant the seed of the gospel at Corinth, and, and he has a unique authority as an apostle. And to, and to be clear, God, God still speaks today uh, through his word, through his spirit, through his people, but he spoke uniquely through, as we said, through prophets, through Jesus, and through the apostles. And so Paul, he has every right to heavy hand this, right? But he's not heavy handing this defense as, as he could. He's simply deferring to God's provision, and he does it on two grounds. He says, you exist in Christ because God sent me to establish the church at Corinth. God sent me to you to preach the gospel so that you might respond. And, and secondly, our boast isn't in what others have done. All right? We aren't hijacking God's work through others. And we're not taking credit for stuff that God's not allowed us to, to influence or be a part of. But, but in what God would allow to happen, not only through you. He's saying it, this life, this ministry, our relationship, it is not about me. It's so much bigger than me. And so Paul, he aims to, to, to plant churches in areas where Christ has never been preached. And he does that time and time and time again. But these false teachers, they try to pervert the gospel in places where it has already been established. And Paul's saying, you need to stop. You need to stop perverting the true gospel. And to the Corinthians, you need to listen. You need to identify what's true. And you need to walk in light of it. And he, and he, he closes this thing down. He says, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. On what ground do you find yourself approved? What do you find from, from morning till night that you have to posture? And it might not look the same around different people. To some people, you might want them to think that, hey, I'm, I'm smart too. To others, you might want them to think, hey, Mm, I, I watched the ball game. <laughs> to others, you might want them to think, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm a good dude. My guess is in, in our daily life, we have 10,000 opportunities to be something that we're not. 
You might look in the mirror and struggle. On what grounds are we commended and approved? Christ is our approval. Nothing else. The Gospel Transformation Bible, it sums this chapter up in such a beautiful way that I want to read it to you, and then I have one quick thing at the end of that, and we'll be done. This is what it says. It says, In the face of self-boasting false apostles, Paul responds in a way that shows that he has been shaped by the gospel. The meekness and gentleness of Christ causes Paul to avoid posturing and one-upmanship. His focus remains on the internal and the actual rather than on the external and the apparent. He boasts only about that which has been given to him by Christ. He views his apostolic authority and influence as gifts to be used in his service to the church. All of this is possible because Paul finds the entirety of his identity in the Lord's approval and commendation. He has no need to compare himself to others because he does not find his validation through other people's assessment of his value. The gospel saves us from the deadly trap of having to develop our own identity. It thereby frees us from false criticism and from foolish comparison. A resulting fruit of the gospel is a faithful confidence that allows us to boast in the work of the Lord, but refuses to boast beyond limits. Um, In the movie Spider-Man Homecoming, there is this scene that every time we watch it, my kids are like, oh, that makes me so mad, and I just want it to be different. Spoiler alert, he's Spider-Man. He's a teenager, and his friend finds out that he's Spider-Man, and and then he has some, like, people coming at him and, and some bullies or whatever, and, and they're like, you know, and, and his friend says, hey, Peter knows Spider-Man. And he's like, why did you say that? Like, this is a secret. Tony Stark would not, right? Uh, so wh- why, why did you tell him that? And then he's like, oh, oh, like the accuser. Oh, like, so, so Peter knows Spider-Man. Well, why don't you bring him to the party tonight? And, and, right? and, and so, like, his friend is like, we got invited to the party. <laughs> He's like, you just have to show up as Spider-Man for a few minutes, all right? And in my heart, certainly in my kid's heart, I'm like, I can't wait for him to show up because those dudes, like, really hacked me off. The friend shows up. Peter Parker's, like, outside, but he never goes in. Duty calls, and he has to go stop some bad guys. He never shows up to the party. Every single time we watch him, my son's like, Dad, why didn't he just go to the party just for, just for 30 seconds? Because you know, you know why? Because we want him to prove himself. We want him to validate the fact that he, look, he doesn't have to show up. He's not only friends with Spider-Man, he's flipping Spider-Man. <laughs> and so you're like, ah, like it's, it's that sense of justice, but look, we wage the same war in our own hearts, and our own lives. How much more are we safe from the need to defend by earthly measures when we literally get to be God's and He is ours? 
We get to be used by Him to do whatever He desires in us and through us. And if that isn't good enough, nothing ever will be good enough. We get to defend truth, right? But we don't have to defend our own identity by the patterns of this world because Jesus is our defense. He is the greatest lawyer, and guess what? He's also the judge. He's not going to cause our case. It doesn't happen in, in the court of public opinion. It happens in the throne room of God. Confidence in God's affirmation humbly rebukes the accusation of fools. We get to respond today. You can sit right where you are. You can stand up. You can sing with the band as they help us see and respond to God. All right? we, we would love to pray with you. Uh, my wife and I will be back by that red tree. There will be another few people by that red tree. There's a prayer bench over there. If you just want some solitude or if you want someone to pray with you over there, that's fine. For those who are in Christ, we invite you to remember and declare Christ's finished work on our behalf. All right? Which reminds us of the body and the blood that was spilled for us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we all have different gifts and that it shows up in different ways. But we don't have to live by comparison. Would you let us be free today to take every thought that we have that's built on the comparison of, of this world and would you just crush it by the weight of your gospel which levels us. God, thank you for your love for us. Today we invite those who, who don't know you to for the, for the first time invite themselves into your story. God, would you love them in spite of them? Would you love us in spite of us? God, give us freedom to walk, to trust you in spite of the accusation of those around us. We pray all this for your glory, empowered by your spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen.